0: Fourteen of the Spanish Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adel de Pignoles. The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. Chapter Fourteen. The Monks of San Isidro. The earnest of eternal joy in every prayer I trace. I see the likeness of the Lord in every patient face off in still communion known those spirits have been sent to share the travail of my soul or show me what it meant a l Waring. it is amongst the perplexing conditions of our earthly life that we cannot first reflect then act first form our opinions and then and not till then begin to carry them out into practice thought and action have usually to run beside each other in parallel lines a terrible necessity, and never more terrible than during the progress of momentous inward changes. A man becomes convinced the star by which he has hitherto been steering is not the true pole-star, and that if he perseveres in his present course his bark will be inevitably lost. At his peril he must find out the one unerring guide. Yet, while he seeks it, his hand must not for an instant quit his home on the helm, for the winds of circumstance fill his sails, and he cannot choose whether he will go, he can only choose where. This lies at the root of much of the apparent inconsistency which has often been made a reproach to reformers. Though Carlos did not feel this difficulty as keenly as some of his brethren in the faith, he yet felt it. His uncle was continually pressing him to take orders, and to seek for this or that tempting preferment whilst every day he had stronger doubts as to the possibility of his accepting any preferment in the church, and was even beginning to entertain scruples about taking orders at all. During this period of deliberation and uncertainty, one of his new friends, Fray Cassiodoro, an eloquent Jeromite friar, who assisted Losada in his ministrations, said to him, "'If you intend embracing a religious life, Signor Don Carlos,' You will find the white tunic and brown mantle of St. Jerome more to your taste than any other habit. Carlos pondered the hint, and shortly after announced to his relatives that he intended to go into retreat for a season at the Jeremite convent of St. Isodore del Campo, which was about two miles from Seville. His uncle approved this resolution, and less, because he thought it was probably intended as a preparation for taking the cowl. After all, nephew, it may turn out that you have the longest head among us," he said. In the race for wealth and honors, no man can doubt that the regulars beat the seculars nowadays. And there is not a saint all the Spain so popular as Jeronimo. You know the proverb: "He who is a count and to be a duke aspires. Let him straight to Guadalupe and sing among the friars." Gonsalvo, who was present here, looked up from his book and observed sharply. No man will ever be a duke who changes his mind three times within three months. "'But I only changed my mind once,' returned Carlos. "'You have never changed it at all that I want of," said Don Manuel, "'and I would that thine were in the same profitable direction, son Gonzalo. "'Oh, yes, by all means, offer the blind and the lame in sacrifice. "'Put heaven off with the wreck of a man that the world would not condescend to take into her service.' hold thy peace son born to cross me said the father losing his temper at by no means the worst of the many provocations he had recently received is it not enough to look at thee lying there a useless log and to suffer thy vile temper but thou must set thyself against me when i point out to thee the only path which a cripple such as thou could earn green figs to with his bread not to speak of supporting the rank of alvarez de Magaya as he ought Here Carlos, out of consideration for the feelings of Gonçalva, left the room, but the angry altercation between the father and son lasted long after his departure. The next day Don Carlos rode out, by a lonely path amidst the gray ruins of old Italica, to the stately castellated convent of St. Isidro. Amidst all his new interests, the young Castilian noble still remembered with due enthusiasm how the building had been reared more than two hundred years ago, of the devotion of the heroic Alonso Guzman the Good, who gave up his own son to death under the walls of Tarifa, rather than surrender the city to Moors. Before he left Seville, he placed a copy of Fray Constantino's Sum of Christian Doctrine between two volumes of Gonzalo's favorite Lope de Vega. He had previously introduced to the notice of the ladies several of the Fray's little treatises, which contained a large amount of scripture truth, so cautiously expressed as to not only have escaped the censure but actually obtained the express approbation of the holy office he had also induced them occasionally to accompany him to the preachings at the cathedral further than this he dared not go nor did he on other accounts think it advisable as yet to permit him much communication with Dona beatrice the monks of san isodro welcomed him with that strong peculiar love which springs up between the disciples of the same lord, more especially as they are a little flock surrounded by enemies. They knew that he was already one of the initiated, a regular member of Losada's congregation. Both this fact and the warm recommendations of Fray Cassiodoro led them to trust him implicitly, and very quickly they made him a sharer in their secrets, their difficulties, and their perplexities. To his astonishment, he found himself in the midst of a community Protestant in heart almost to a man, and as far as possible acting out of their convictions, while at the same time they retained, how could they discard them, the outward ceremonies of their church and their order. He soon fraternized with a gentle, pious young monk named Fray Fernando, and asked him to explain this extraordinary state of things. "'I am but just out of my novitiate, having been here little more than a year,' said the young man, who was about his own age." And already, when I came, the fathers carefully instructed the novices out of the scriptures, in us to lay no stress upon outward ceremonies, penances, crosses, holy water, and the like. But I have often heard them speak of the manner in which they were led to adopt these views. Who is their teacher, Fray Cassiodoro? Latterly, not at first. It was Dr. Blanco who sowed the first seed of truth here. Who do you mean? We in the city give the name of Dr. Blanco, the white doctor, from his silver hairs, to a man of your holy order, certainly, but one most zealous for the old faith. He is a friend and confidant of the inquisitors, if indeed he is not himself a qualificator of heresy. I speak of Dr. Garcias Arias. The same man. You are astonished, senor. Nevertheless, it is true. The elder brethren say that when he came to the convent all were sunk in ignorance and superstition, The monks cared for nothing but vain repetitions of unfelt prayers, and showy mummeries of idle ceremonial. But the white doctor told them all these would avail them nothing, unless their hearts were given to God, and they worshipped him in spirit and in truth. They listened, were convinced, began to study the holy scriptures as he recommended them, and truly to seek him who was revealed therein. Out of the eater came forth meat, said Carlos, I am truly amazed to hear of such teaching from the lips of Garcias Arias. Not more amazed than the brethren were by his after-conduct, returned Fray Fernando. Just when they had received the truth with joy, and were beginning heartily to follow it, their teacher suddenly changed his tone, and addressed himself diligently to the task of building up the things he had once destroyed. When Lent came around, the burden of his preaching was nothing but penance and mortification of the flesh. No less would content him than that the poor brethren should sleep on the bare ground, or standing, and wear sackcloth and iron girdles. They could not tell what to make of these bewildering instructions. Some followed them, others clung to the simpler faith they had learned to love, many tried to unite both. In fact, the convent was filled with confusion, and several of the brethren were driven half-distracted. But at last God put it into their hearts to consult Dr. Agidius. Your Excellency is well acquainted with his history, doubtless. Not so well as I should like to be. Still, for the present, let us keep to the brethren. Did Dr. Gideous confirm their faith? That he did, Signor, and in many ways he led them into a further acquaintance with the truth. And that enigma, Dr. Blanco? Fray Fernando shook his head. Whether his mind is really changed, or whether he conceals his true opinions through fear, or through love of the present world, I know not. I should not judge him. No, said Carlos, softly. It is not for us, who have never been tried, to judge those who have failed in the day of trial. But it must be a terrible thing to fail, Fray Fernando. As good Dr. Egidius did himself. Ah, Signor, if you had but seen him when he came forth from his prison. His head was bowed, his hair was white. They who spoke with him say his heart was well-nigh broken. Still he was comforted and thanked God, when he saw the progress the truth had made during his imprisonment, both in Valladolid and in Seville, especially amongst the brethren here. His visit was of great use to us, but the most precious boon we ever received was the supply of God's word in our own tongue, which was brought to us some months ago. Carlos looked at him eagerly. "'I think I know whose hand brought it,' he said. "'You cannot fail to know, Señor. You have doubtless heard of Juliano el Chico?' The color rose to the cheek of Carlos as he answered. I shall thank God all my life, and beyond it, that I have not heard of him alone, but met him. It was he who put this book into my hand, and he drew out his own testament. We also have good cause to thank him, and we mean that others shall have it through us. For the books he brought we not only use ourselves, but diligently circulate far and wide, according to our ability. It is strange to know so little of a man, and yet to owe him much can you tell me anything more than the name Juliano Hernandez which I repeat every day when I ask God in my prayers to bless and reward him I only know he is a poor unlearned man a native of Villa Verde in Campos he went to Germany and entered the service of Juan Perez who as you are aware translated the testament and printed it Juliano aiding in the work as compositor he then undertook of his own free will the task of bringing a supply into this country. You well know how perilous a task, both the seaports and the passes of the Pyrenees being so closely watched by the emissaries of the Holy Office. Juliano chose the overland journey since, knowing the mountains well, he thought he could manage to make his way unchallenged by some of their hazardous, unfrequented paths. God be thanked, he arrived in safely with his precious sprite early last summer. Do you know where he is now? No. Doubtless he is wandering somewhere, perhaps not far distance, carrying on, in darkness and silence, his noble missionary work. What would I give, rather, what would I not give, to see him once more, to take his hand in mine, and to thank him for what he has done for me? Ah, there is the Vesper-Bell. You know, Signor, that Fred Cristobal is to lecture this evening on the Epistle to the Hebrews. That is why I love Tuesday best of all the days in the week. Fr. Cristobal de Rolano was a monk of San Isodro, remarkable for his great learning, which was consecrated to the task of explaining and spreading the Reformed doctrines. Carlos put himself under the tuition of this man to perfect his knowledge of Greek, a language of which he had learned very little, and that little very imperfectly, at Alcala. He profited exceedingly by the teaching he received, and partially repaid the obligation by instructing the novices in Latin. A tach which was, was very congenial to him. And which he performed with much success. End of chapter fourteen. Recording by Adele de Pignoroli.